Hey everybody, it's Imperfect Allies. Uh, I'm Richie. I'm Chris. And we are here today with someone that is really wonderful and important to us, and I'm really glad you're gonna y'all are gonna meet her. Uh, welcome to the show, Tisha Nelson. Tisha, welcome to Imperfect Allies. Yay. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> Yay. So we, we know it. Tisha. We we met through taking a uh, writing class with Brent Forrester. Uh, this is now three years ago almost, right? No. It's no, getting, time doesn't move that fast. It's pretty well, fast. Does it? well, I think we took the class three years ago, but we didn't know each other yet. That's right. And then the second... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, Chris. <laughs> yeah. The one that you took that I didn't take, she was 20, in that one. Yeah, 2019. Mm-hmm. Wow. Time is... Okay. Okay. Yes. Keep going. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, uh, we met her there, and uh, she was a runner-up of the... There was a contest at the end of the show, and uh, we just thought she was phenomenal. Got to read her script, and then asked asked if uh, she wanted to, to write together, and sort of just like a a loose, hey, bring your ideas and we can help out. And, and then we just started writing together, all three of us, and found that Consistently. We, yeah. yeah. So so that's been our path for the last almost year, over a year now. Mm-hmm. We've been writing together every week. And uh, we have a couple of things to show for it. Uh, one of them being the pilot that we just wrote um, called Bebo right now. It's a working title, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Tisha, I'll, I'll stop talking. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that made me think. So when we took that writing class, Brent said, he said, make sure you find a writing partner. And I didn't want to do that because, yeah. you know, when you write, you want to do it alone and mm-hmm. whatever. And he kept saying that was the most important thing. You have to find a writing partner. And I yeah. like pushed <laughs> against it for so long. And then I made a Facebook post in the group and I asked for help with my script, with the structure. And then Chris, you replied first and you're like, I'll help you. And then, um, and it was, and it was like, uh, I, I would do zoom for work, but I hadn't like zoomed with a stranger before. So I remember being nervous for it and being like, how's this going to go? Is this person going to be weird? And I almost wanted to cancel because I was (laughs) so just nervous, you know? And I'm like, it's just Zoom. You can like close your computer and walk away not. So anyways, I got on Zoom with you and we just talked for a full hour and you restructured my whole script and I would not have won without your help. And then that's for (laughs) sure. No, you really helped. Um, you're really good with structuring a story and putting it in the correct order. And that's exactly what I needed help with. And yeah. And then we started meeting on Saturdays and then you were like, I have to introduce you to Richie. And now I think the three of us have met every Saturday for over a year. Yeah. 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 It's unbelievable. And I think when you, when you first posted uh, that you were going to look for help, you had already been, you got brought up in one of Brent's classes and I was like, Oh, this is that. Oh, I, I, she already has more of an end than I do. She's <laughs> phenomenal. I gotta, I gotta connect with her. And then, um, I don't know when it was in the process that I awkwardly or weirdly probably like asked you for your Myers Briggs or something like that. Mm-hmm. But 
I also realized that you had everything that we don't have. It was like, yeah. oh my God, this is yeah. the best opportunity because we're we just all round each other out. And so I was like, mm-hmm. you gotta meet Rich. Like this is gonna be a perfect mm-hmm. pairing. Yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. was perfect because Rich is the same Myers Briggs as my son. Mm-hmm. So whenever I have questions about how to raise an INFP, I just ask Richie. Yeah, what would yeah, you exactly. have wanted as a 14 year old boy? <laughs> sure. It's Just, mostly video games is the answer, but that, you know, <laughs> it, it, there are more answers to that. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's awesome, Tisha. Well, so one thing that we haven't done in, in our weekly meetings is really talked about uh, what brought you here, what brought you to where you are now. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you grew up and. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. I was born in Fargo, North Dakota. And I was an only child and... I'm going to freeze you right there. Why Fargo? Why was I born there? Yeah, where's Fargo? (laughs) Like what, you know what I mean? Like what, what, why? I had a choice? The agency, yeah, the agency she had in that decision. I didn't know there was a choice. All these years. (laughs) Nobody told me. And I I got stuck at Fargo, North Dakota. Well, I was born in Springfield, Missouri, and okay. we've never been back. They had me there and then left. They've never, we've never. Mm. They bring you touched. in. Well, they did bring me after they, after I was born. Yes, they brought me, but, but they literally lived there, had me, and moved away. So I'm just curious. Uh, do you have family in Fargo, or is oh that yeah, my mom place? grew up there. Oh, okay, okay. So she grew up there, and then she had me. And so it was just me and my mom, single mom. I was an only child. And I think that's probably how I got interested in writing because uh, it was like, you know, some kids have imaginary friends. I had imaginary friends that had like backstories and (laughs) they had goals and I knew everything about them. And um, so, yeah, I would write a lot as a kid. Not like really full stories, but just like little ideas. Mm-hmm. And because wow. it was like, if you, if I wanted to be entertained, I had to entertain myself. Yeah. Yeah. I did something similar. Like I did the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just got a uh, little bit ago, a book that I made in like sixth grade. And it was like a fully, like, it's got a cover. I've got art on all the pages in the story on all these pages as a little guy. And I, and I, I did the same thing cause I was only child for a long, long time. And, uh, and just kind of had to amuse myself. So I'd sit there and my parents would see me like making story. Like they would watch me like making stories with my little guys, like mm-hmm. action figures and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so you yeah, were an only similar. child for how long? Uh, eight years. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So my brother and I kind of lived in two different households. It was very strange. Yeah. Very strange. That's by the time he was my like, yeah. By the time he grew up, it was just a totally different dynamic, and just we both dealt with different things. Uh, oh, so yeah, well, that's all right. Um, so, but anyway, so you were at uh, your you you started in uh, North okay. Dakota. Yep. <laughs> in Fargo. So I was born there, um, and then my mom decided she wanted to move here when I was in fourth grade. I think I was nine or 10. So we moved here to Arizona okay. and um, moved here. And then 
really just fast forward. I had my son when I was 18. Uh, that was a crazy adventure. That's probably yeah. a whole nother podcast episode. Um, <laughs> and it was really, you know, really challenging, but like, I couldn't imagine my life without him. Now he's 14. Sure. And it's so weird because my whole adult life, I've had a child that I've been responsible for. Like, I don't know what it's like to be an adult without a child. Oh. And now that wow. he's going to be 15 in a couple months and I keep thinking, I keep having this weird feeling. It's almost like I feel like I'm getting ready to head off to college or something because yeah. in three years, like it's going to be the first time I'm an adult without a little kid without wow. someone in the house that needs something, you know? So yeah. it, it feels very interesting. I'm sure other people that had their kids young can relate, but it's this well, weird we started, feeling. Melanie was 22 and I was 25. And it feels very much like we're going, as the kids are getting older now, we're going through kind of a second adolescence or, or like that mm -hmm. post-adolescence, like, oh, we can just go have fun. Like we're gonna go, we're gonna go on a vacation. We've never done that before. And we're gonna go in January. Uh, and just us two, which, which doesn't sound crazy to anybody else, but it's like, no, that's crazy it is, because there's yeah. always been yeah. something that needs our attention or our time. And, and it's been really cool to, to kind of step into that together. Uh, just a different timing, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So that kind of takes us into our next question that we asked is kind of what are the labels that you, um, that you prescribe to and that you own, right? You might have a young mother, like what, what are some of your labels? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that I think I'm at a place right now where I'm realizing that you get to create your own labels. And mm. I know that the three of us talked about this recently when people ask me what I do for work. I used to be honest and give them the boring project manager answer. And now I just, when people are like, oh, where do you work? You know, if I'm meeting someone new, I say, oh, I'm a, I'm a television writer. I'm a script, yeah. you know, screenwriter for TV. And they'll say, have yeah. I seen any, would I have seen anything? I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> and if you have, let me know. Cause I didn't get paid for it. So, um, but yeah, so, and as I find myself like saying that to people saying, oh, I'm a screenwriter, it almost helps you believe it more and start yeah. to fall into that because you have to start somewhere. So you might as well just start telling people that now. But yeah, I think as far as labels, it was really hard being 18 with a baby. And I remember I was a bank teller and I looked younger than 18. And when I would talk to customers, I would say, oh, yeah, my son. And they would be like, your son? You don't look old enough to have a hmm. son. I would hear that at least once a day. And uh, I would wow, always yeah. be like, well, I'm not old enough, but I have one. <laughs> and, you know, and it was weird. It's like, how do you answer that to people? Or what do you say to those types of comments? So every yeah. day, right? Yeah. And so you just kind of learn how to deal with it and create your own labels and you know people can just be so blunt and you can't really take it personal yeah i have a hard time with that not taking things personally <laughs> i have a hard time too. i was actually yeah. gonna ask yeah how to how did you develop that piece because you know here on imperfect allies we, we kind of feel like our audience is both sides right we all have probably been 
um, the victims of and also perpetrators of incidental slights to each other. And so having that personal resilience, like how did you develop that or where did that kind of come from? Yeah, I think that one thing that helps me is I always think everybody thinks of themselves as the main character and everyone is thinking of themselves so much and that Mm -hmm. they're probably not thinking of you as much as you think. Mm. Um, But that can be really hard to practice in the real world. So I, I think what's worked best for me is learning to actually like myself yeah if you if you like once you head out into the world and you like yourself and you like everything about yourself nobody is gonna bother you people could say whatever (laughs) and you're just like okay then you're not for me because i like myself and Mm -hmm. yeah i also think that you know having my son looking up to me he's he's in high school. So he's like really trying to find where he fits in. And I find myself telling him like, just be yourself. And it's, I I find myself saying kind of these cliche things and I'm like, okay, I can't (laughs) tell him to head into public high school and be himself. And here I am not being myself all the time. So Mm, I just try to look at me and him like we're living similar paths and we're both trying to figure out who we are. And I think really the goal is to just like yourself because you only get to hear your own thoughts. You don't get to hear what anyone else is thinking. Um, and so I want my thoughts to be positive. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that we have, um, you know, we have the privilege of choice in that. Like we can, we can't like control what we think, but we can definitely control what we give attention to. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and, and that's, that was when you said like liking yourself was a key to all that. Like I, I'm a hundred (laughs) percent on board. Right. Because you're, you're right. Like if, if you like yourself and the, that locus of control is internal to you, nobody can really do anything to you. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't matter which, because the, the most important person likes me. So, um, yeah, that's that's profound, and I wish I, I wish I could have got that earlier because it, it had me thinking about like you're moving, you know, moving from uh, Fargo to Arizona, and like little fourth grade you was like doing writing stuff or whatever you're doing, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you know whatever the people around you said, oh no, that's not what you do, that's not don't do that or whatever they judge or whatever else, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then. You're having to, we're having to unlearn that stuff. Like, oh, that was all BS. Like that was just something, something somebody made up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would like put me and down or whatever. I think too, if you hate yourself or when, you know, we've all been in seasons of your life when you hate yourself, that if yeah. people like you at that time, you deep down don't like them because they're liking a version of you that you hate. So mm. it's kind of like once you like yourself, you're putting that energy out there and attracting the right people. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like most people have similar values and stuff too, right? Like, like I was thinking about this is, I don't know if this is going to sound weird or gross, but sorry. 
Uh, <laughs> no, but like um, Chris and I were talking last week about ambition and like dr- the drive to to do all these things we have to do, but also like really liking ourselves and really being in great places with our relationships. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the things that surprised me, like when I was a kid, like uh, in my senior year, for whatever reason, I, I became popular. I don't know why I literally don't know why, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't, and I didn't realize how popular I was until I had left many years later. Um, but one of the things that started happening was the popular kids started inviting me to parties. And it, it was at that, I'm, I was like, oh, I don't want to go. So doing mm-hmm. all this work to like, to like, <laughs> to make it and not even know that I made it. And then when I, and getting the perks of that, I didn't even want, you know what I mean? Like, cause you, mm-hmm. we built up, like you said, that sort of self, false self or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, that, when, when people like you, when you're being your most false, it's like, oh no, I don't even want any of this. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And you said you didn't know why people liked you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's a weird place to be in. So it's, it's like, it's very strange. It felt yeah. like, like, it felt like, like people were playing a joke on me. Like, oh yeah. Really? Yeah. It felt like, like a, it was in January, a carry situation or something where like they voted, like I was on the ballot for prom King and like, wow, and, cla- and class that. clown. And I would have, they're like, you would have won if the couple that didn't win, like they weren't a couple. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are y'all talking about? Like, I don't even know. <laughs> so it's very, <laughs> you didn't even see no, yourself that way. It was very bizarre. It was very bizarre. Well, so, I, and this could be, I, I, cause I feel like the, the me not liking myself is more, has been more of a present battle than a, a youthful battle. Mm. I, I grew up just, I wasn't even oblivious to, I was, I was oblivious to that struggle because I just didn't like myself as a predisposition at the mm. time. And then as an ENTP, looking back on mis- past mistakes that maybe I'm not where I should be, those are where I'm like challenging it, how much I like about myself. And that's where I step into the world of, you know, valuing my strengths and understanding my weaknesses are the exact uh, shadows of those strengths. And so T I'm curious what, what um, steps or practices you took to build that like and that self love for yourself. I think I'm in the middle of it right now because I think that this, this year has been really hard. And I think that just within these last couple months, I've been starting to sort of use that language that I want to mm-hmm. like myself and that that is mm-hmm. all that matters. So I'm I'm in that right now and I've found that like having a routine really helps me at least just some sort yeah. of routine that I like a morning routine that I can follow every day. Uh it's sort of a way to hold myself accountable. But when it comes to liking myself, it's almost treating myself like someone I'm getting to know and that I like my own company and yeah. mm-hmm. that I'm not heading out into the world to have anybody. I'm not trying to find anybody else to fill anything inside of me that's missing. Yes. I'm not trying yeah. to fill like a void. 
like I'm good. I like <laughs> who I, I like who I am. And then it's also liking yourself at this stage too, because I'm not quite there mm-hmm. yet. I'm not that right. I I can develop more confidence, and that's what I'm working towards. So I'm not quite there, but it's liking yourself through the process and helping yourself. And sometimes you're going to have those super lazy days where you're not productive and still supporting yourself through that. Like you would support a friend. Yeah. I love that. That's perfect. Yeah. And and I, I feel as though I'm, I'm in that same process myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, part of that is every time I hit a lazy day or an unambitious day, really checking in and, and recognizing that I probably need this right now. And this is uh, just a part of who I am yeah. and appreciating that. And um, maybe one day I'll be the one of the David Goggins of the world. It's just so determined and push through that push through on everything. But um, that doesn't have to be me and, and kind of just, enjoying every little idiosyncrasy about myself and um and uh there's this writer he's an entp so i think he speaks perfectly obviously because he <laughs> speaks my language but in his book called principles this is uh ray diallo uh in his book principles he's he says if there are gaps and things that you don't like you know lean on people that have those skills hence this amazing group we have here it's mm-hmm. like you know, I love each and every one of you so much because I see what you have that I don't have and I can appreciate those things in you. And then y'all actually feed that back to me, which is like a good cycle loop of helping me like myself, because oftentimes we can be oblivious to our own strengths and things like that. Yeah. When So can you remember a time, Tisha, where it like started not liking yourself or like what can you remember things that started that cycle? Cause I know for me, I can, but it was very deliberate on my part to not like myself. So that was, a, that was a coping strategy for me as a kid, because I, if I couldn't live in a world like full of abusers, I, I, I had to make that make sense somehow. So it must've been my mm-hmm. fault. Like, you know what I mean? Like whatever was going on must've been my fault. So I'm the bad one. And if I'm the bad one, then everybody's good. Then we have a mm-hmm. world makes sense, you know? Yeah. But I was wondering if anything like that for you, Um, the first thing that popped into my head is I know that, uh, social media filters for me were really, really difficult. Um, so when social media filters like started coming out on Instagram, I, and everybody else, I felt like everybody used filters and I would use them on all my photos that I posted and, it really tricked me into thinking that that's how I looked. And Mm, then I remember going out and taking pictures with people and seeing them. And I was so upset that that's what I looked like. And it really messed with my mind. And um, that's why I think filters are so dangerous for teenagers because this happened to me in adulthood. And um, Mm -hmm. I just remember feeling you know, if you, if you take all of your photos with these filters or, you know, sort of edited photos and Mm -hmm. and then you create kind of this different version of yourself. And I just remember really having to 
sort of accept what I actually looked like versus these filters. And I know that that was really hard. Um, and then, wow, so then I really kind of just, I kind of just stopped like posting for a while. Um, yeah. that was probably a few years ago, but yeah, it was like, even the pictures I would take with my son was through a filter and, um, yeah, it was really just kind of warped my mind. And wow. I, it was almost like when I would look in the mirror, I was accepting a totally different person than what I thought I looked like. Yeah. And that is, that's powerful. That is yeah. powerful. So those filters really messed with my mind for a while. Um, well, I wonder if that's what people that like do say, like kind of we're moving to a world where everybody's a celebrity, right? So, every, you know, you can, mm-hmm. you have equal access to the platforms that, you know, anybody else does. And I wonder if that's what they deal with too. I wonder if that's interesting. Like if that's what, like, you know, you, you hear about like aging, aging stars or something like that. And they want to make sure they look a particular way and they get, they get really injured. It looks like, you know, like with their yeah. plastic surgery and stuff like that. I, I wonder if that's something similar. That's really, really fascinating. I, Yeah. And I think for women, I know that just with the increase of Instagram, TikTok, every, everything. Oh, did you guys hear that? That was thunder. Yeah. Was there a jet? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, We never get rain or thunder. thunder It's really funny. But yeah, I know just for women, it's like we can pick up our phone and scroll through and see beautiful women all day. And Mm -hmm. it almost sort of warps our mind into thinking that these perfect beautiful people are everywhere and you're the odd one out Mm. and i'm sure that's happening to teenage girls right now too because they're just scrolling and seeing perfect makeup perfect everything and then comparing themselves to that wow yeah the world is definitely dealing with that because Mm. and it's it's in every aspect is as we keep seeing the one percent um, pushed in front of our face all the time, then it's easy to assume that everyone's living that life mm-hmm. but you. Yeah, um, and that can be really challenging because it's one not accurate, but consistency is kind of what builds our reality. And so, whatever we experience the most, um, that's kind of what we start to um, match. And it, it's it's tough. Even I feel like as a, a man just because um, your perception is kind of built based on what the algorithms push. And um, it was, they're kind of malicious in a way because you don't even have to like subscribe, follow, like engage with anymore. You know, it can track how long you stopped and stared Mm -hmm. and then it feeds you more, you know? And so it's, it, it is pretty dangerous and, and, as a former educator, you know, I, I definitely feel for my students and the students that I had. And I don't, I, you know, as an educator, you try and have the most impact as you can, but you only have each kid for a year and you only have them for a little time in that. So it is, you know, a lot on the parents. And so I'm sitting here talking to two uh, parents here. What, I guess, how, are those things impacting your uh, upbringing for your kids or is it something that, you've shared um, with your son, T, or I'm just curious. Yeah, I think the the scary thing for boys right now, and I hadn't thought about it until I heard it a couple months ago, 
is teenage boys are, there's sort of this algorithm, like a pipeline where they're getting these videos about misogyny and it, and sexism and like our teenage boys, if they're scrolling, they're sort of getting the content from these like podcast bros, I guess, <laughs> that are telling them mm-hmm. to treat yeah. women like crap. There's one in particular, oh, but I won't yeah, say his Manosphere. name because I don't want to give him any credit. Sure. Um, but mm-hmm. it's... Oh, we've had many discussions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whole episodes. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it's, so, yeah, it's scary. I hadn't really thought of that because you, you think of all the other problems that come with scrolling too long, but... Um, you know, and I keep feeling like we're coming to a better place in the world where we're accepting more people and we're treating people with more equality. And, and then you hear that young boys are being, you know, sort of fed these like sexist things or telling them that that's the way the world works. And it's really scary. So I've been talking to my son Mm -hmm. a lot about that. Um, but him and I are pretty open and I, always talk to him about respecting women and being polite and I don't I don't have that fear for him but I have that fear for a whole as you know for all of teenage boys well that's one of the things too that uh, about kind of our partnership that uh, I know that Chris and I have seen is like we we would write something or or say something in your in in Tisha you would be oftentimes like well I I don't know if a woman would think or feel that way (laughs) about this Mm -hmm. particular, you know what I mean? Like having that, having that perspective that like, um, that you don't think about, like, I'll think about, I won't think about, uh, being black because I'm white, those Mm -hmm. kind of things where, you know, Chris and I can hash those things out. It's been really great to have, uh, have a woman in the, in the mix as far as like an essential part of the team. Like that perspective is essential. Like, for me, like the black perspective is essential because I'm an mm-hmm. American and it's part of, you know, um, anyway, that's just. Uh, yeah. And Rich, you won't hear this many places other than on Fox News, but we appreciate the white male perspective. Yeah. That you <laughs> yeah. Yes, we thank do. you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. Yeah. And, and seeing just anyway, that's a whole other can of worms. But yeah, um, I like what you said, Richie, because I, I think for so long, so many people say that women don't want to work in certain fields, or I've heard people say, you know, women, they want to work in these nurturing fields, or they want to do this, and right. it, that's not true. It's just how society has been set up, and like we yeah. need women in every field, Absolutely. And especially in politics. And I heard I heard this statistic that um, I think it was 70% of women that go to college in a STEM field. I think 70% of them end up dropping out or switch uh, wow. to a different major. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I heard somebody say, oh, well, that's probably because they can't handle it. Or, you know, something sexist like that or, or, you know, it's just not for them. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting because I'm like, no, it's probably because they're the only woman in a room full of men with a male teacher. And it's a very sexist environment. And 
you know, I've seen a few videos like that on TikTok. Girls will take videos in their, mm-hmm. uh, like in their class at school where it's all men, male teacher, and it's just like a locker room. Like the conversation is totally yeah. inappropriate. So it makes sense that girls and women leave. Kind of get pushed yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've always been the kind of guy that doesn't do like locker room talk and that's been very uncomfortable by it like all that stuff about talking about your conquests and whatever else or mm-hmm. i've never been that person uh but i couldn't it felt very much like i couldn't speak up because that's well then you're not being a man or you're not being macho or manly enough mm-hmm. you know what i mean so it's like you don't even fit in yeah. with what you're supposed to fit in yeah right mm-hmm. yeah but locker room culture is it's is i mean i guess that's the term that I have for it. I haven't been in the STEM fields at all. Um, and so I, I can't speak on those environments, but you know, it, there is the kind of what the group think versus the individual. And you kind of feel like you do get pushed out at times. I've, I'm not necessarily one that has done the whole conquest conversation, but I have been in plenty of locker rooms and been a participant in some of the conversations and um, I think it's it's interesting, especially because we were talking about the manosphere. It's I, it's I guess there's salacious content where it's like easy to um, get pulled into, right? Like as a, I, I think we all have our tropes that we can easily fall into, mm-hmm. and so the manosphere is so interesting to me because it speaks on things that are beyond most people's ability to grasp like oh you're going to end up with a supermodel if you treat women like this like this is what you have to do and those things become normalized but they're not even accurate they're not speaking to any individual they're just doing what keeps people watching their streams and then it becomes more public and then more consistent and then more people believe it and again most of these experts have no game at the beginning, you know, and they, they don't have the life that they're portraying. And I think that bleeds into all forms of society. And I can only imagine that being a woman in a STEM field and dealing with that every day mm-hmm. can be very alienating and frustrating because it's just too many of them. And I don't, I really don't know how, um, I don't know how we stem the tide because I would have assumed that your son's generation is the one that is getting the opposite, right? And you're saying that they're they're getting the manosphere um, marketed to them and the algorithm's pushing it to them harder than anybody mm-hmm. else. Wow. So it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's so scary. Yeah, because I thought that too. I was like, okay, this generation, they're going to change things. This will be great. And then I, I've gone on my son's TikTok through his feed, and it is mm-hmm. like – it's, uh, you know, it's like, here's how you should treat women. Or, and it's just all these horrible things. Mm. And um, it's really scary. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, what do we do? I mean, I, I think we, we educate ourselves and our families, but what do we do? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, mean, like, I don't know. Well, one thing to also take into consideration is that it's the manosphere is this, and I use 1% to me, like the very few people that actually um, 
think the the ill will things it, it does the information does get spread and stuff like that but it's very few people that that actually think it and walk it and act it and then um they're bickering and complaining about the other one percent of women that match what they're labeling you know like it's it's not or i guess like the best way i can think of this is you'll see some of the people that they purposely bring on and they'll interview these women and they're bringing the woman on that matches everything that they already despise. Right. So they're not even bringing on good representation of women. And so, you know, the solution to most of these problems is still diversity, still having more people in the room, still engaging with um, people that act different, think different, walk different so that, when you do see the toxic masculine person, you can also easily see someone next to them that is the exact opposite and have a clear understanding that they're both men and that um, men have a diverse spectrum just as much as the women do. Um, And like you said, Rich, you didn't have that experience in any way. Um, And you're still a man. Damn it. (laughs) Well, that's what, I mean, that's what, you know, yeah. I mean, that's one of the, the signals that you get is that you're not whatever it is. Like, I would imagine the same for you, mm-hmm. Tisha. Like, you're not, mm-hmm. it's not girly or it's not, that's not what a proper girl or woman does or that, those kind of things. You've reflected that even in one of the characters you were, um, one of your pilot ideas, you were kind of, it, I remember you were modeling your character kind of off of your experience and mm-hmm. having her be this brash girl that, doesn't do girly things necessarily. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, I was thinking about that too while you were talking that one way to do that is putting those things in our scripts, even if it's a comedy script, you know, and I I think the biggest problem with sexism and racism is that people think it's big and outwardly and loud. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you haven't experienced the microaggressions then you just don't know and yeah sometimes too when you say like uh you know i remember i had this job and i found out that this guy that got hired at the same time as me that he made more and i remember getting angry and telling everyone it was was because he was a man and people were everybody was like no companies don't do that you know (laughs) you're crazy Mm. they wouldn't pay him more just because he's a man and I'm like I asked him what he makes and you know people will always kind of side with oh no there's no way a company would do that they always kind of side against it and um, Mm -hmm. even when you know like little things like that and you you just know that you're being treated unfairly but it can be so hard to prove when it's systemic or when it's small so i'm always trying to throw those things into our scripts even just little looks that somebody might get or little comments um yeah because I, i think that's really hard for you know straight white men to understand is those little things that happen yeah um, I, I believe it yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah the word little is the is the biggest thing that they struggle with yeah because it's like it's little then so what are you talking right. about well and i think too like earlier this this 2020 2019 2020 somewhere in there a lot of people a lot of white men looked around and were like oh no like the world is not 
how we had been taught that it was, you mm. know, and some, the reaction to that has been, you know, buried, you know, but yeah, uh, I think one of the reactions that I side with is that like, Oh, okay. So what do I do now? And one of the things you're saying is like, not only, not only to hire diverse, but like make sure there are diverse voices in the things that you do from day to day, you know, like the, mm-hmm. whether it be your writing or, um, looking around, like we went to, like, it reminds me of this one on our trip, uh, in July, uh, we drove up the coast from LA to San Francisco with just a bunch of groomsmen <laughs> and we stopped at, <laughs> our car stopped at a, uh, a little town and it was like really quaint and it was really nice. And, uh, everybody's really friendly. Like people were walking around driving their bikes. And then I, and I looked around like, well, where are the black people? There weren't any black mm. people. And to me that like, to me now that, that shows like, Oh, something's, something's a little off. Yeah. Mm. It's not that, it's not that black people have not been introduced to this area. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're not there for a reason or well, they're you know, or they're not there for a reason. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I just, uh, it's just really interesting that seeing that, seeing, uh, that, that, uh, opening up. And is that something you would have always thought or is that, a recent sort of new thought within these last very, very few new. years. Okay. Very new. So like, I think I came from uh, a background where I was taught the world was one way and this is the right thing. And this is the true thing and everything else is a lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like things like my experience, things like science got in the way of that. Um, and then I guess this last one was like just social justice got in the way of that. You yeah. Know? And said that no, this is really happening, and and this is, it's not in the past. We're not done with sexism or racism or any kind of homophobia, any of that stuff. Mm. I was yeah. listening to a podcast that said um, in 2020 they had the largest, uh, the largest amount of white women showed up to Black Lives Matter movements, and yeah. mm-hmm. they they posed the question on the podcast like why was there this increase? Because I think it was it was a crazy increase of white women supporting, you know, black people. And they were like, why now? And I thought about it for a while. And I was like, I think that we all realized that we were lied to as well. Like that's Mm. how I felt at least because I know as a kid, it was like, you know, you'd see a stranger danger commercial and it was a black guy and it was Mm. always Mm -hmm. the criminal is this black person. And, and then here I am as an adult, I've listened to all the true crime podcasts, everyone, <laughs> and it's always a white man yeah, <laughs> and it's usually sure. her husband. And it's like, yeah. and you just start to learn the truth that like, actually the most dangerous group are the white straight men. That's who I fear <laughs> the most. And it's like, mm. um, so I think we all kind of collectively realized like we've been lied to. This has all been, this has all been like systemic and trying to create division between people. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just not true. Everything that we've been told. So I think we're finally all like getting to find out the truth and learn from other people. Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly what, uh, I mean, that's exactly it for me too, is, is, just being the generation of 
parents that don't lie to their kids. Yeah. Hmm. Is it, is a real interesting cause not everybody's down. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, having children being, being like equipped with the, with real, with real truth is, is almost like, um, it's pushing against that norm that wants to, it wants to, it wants to, uh, equilibria equal equalize out, you know, balance out balance. That's a better word. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Um, because I think that's what happened in 2020 is we got like this influx of white people and, and, and into the black lives matter space. And then we got a whole bunch of like street signs and, you know, like, Oh, we're going to bumper, bumper stickers. stickers and see. So it's solved. It's like, yeah, those. it's solved mm-hmm. and not, and, and, and it's even, I'm, I'm, I'm displaying my whiteness because I came on the podcast with like, how do we fix it? I was like, what do we mm, do? Right. Asking you teacher, like, what do we do? Right. And it's, it's a very, I think that's a very straight white concept. I must be able to do something. Right. Instead of, instead of just, I don't know, learning and being quiet. Yeah. <laughs> um, Listening. Yeah. Yeah listening, learning. Um, I, I know, I think it's crazy too. I'll see online sometimes if, if there's a post about women or empowering women or something, and there'll be men in the comments that say like, well then go live in Saudi Arabia or whatever. They're trying to Mm. make, you know, (laughs) they're like, you have it good here in America. And it's so crazy to me that that's the mentality of some men. Like, well, you could have it worse in a different country, so shut up and be happy. And it's like, I just can't believe that, I can't believe it's rare for men to be allies for women, because it is rare. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm always surprised that men aren't just like singing our praises and look at everything that women are doing, mm-hmm. this is amazing, like how can we clear a path and and help them? And But instead it's like, just be happy you're in America, you know, or comments like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the, it's harder to see tribalism when it's um, like, oh, this is my favorite show versus your favorite show or things that aren't physical and mental and psychological and all these things. And the, the black versus white was so stark that I think that's why it was such an easy thing to institutionalize for so long. It was just a stark difference. And I think men and women have huge stark differences as well. And it's, it's cumbersome for someone to break out of that tribalism Mm -hmm. when it comes to supporting women. And um, it's, it's way easier to go in self-protect mode, which is Mm -hmm. what humans do. 90% 90% of the time it's just going to, Oh no, you, you, you are ungrateful. That's the problem, you know? Yeah. And, um, it, it is tough. It's tough to have the balance and the love and respect for other people when I think men are feeling targeted. I think, you know, it's the zero sum game kind of thought, right? Mm-hmm. That mentality that if you get something, that means I'm losing something. And so men are, sh- men are being told if they're not naturally believing it, that this is a slight again on them. This is attack on them. And, you know, and I, 
I mean, I have the benefit of being black during all this, so it's like no one's really throwing shade at me. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's the truth of the matter, I, and I experience it. it um, but I was thinking, to like Rich, like you are very empathetic, which is uh, a superpower that you have. But in your circles of other straight white men, like, I mean, how are they dealing? Do you even interact with them? Like, or even you you met two straight men on my bachelor party yeah you know how what did you pick up on from them and things of that nature although Braden has your same personality yeah for sure um that's a really interesting question i i think part of the thing that i've seen is but i thought we were already doing that i thought we were already being good Mm -hmm. to women or being good to black people Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm Mm -hmm. not said a bad thing about a woman i'm not said a bad thing about a black person I've not done mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. and they're right, but we're not talking about you personally, you being shitty to somebody else that's different than you. We're talking about larger systemic problems that like yeah. the, even the idea that women are, are inferior to men is a, is a religious idea. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. a biological one. It's not a, it's not, it's a, it's an adopted one. It's not a natural it's specific of a specific religious idea. Well, I'll say a Christian, Muslim. I mean, I think those yeah, two, they struggle exactly. with that the most, uh, as far as the mm-hmm. world religions go. Um, you know, and there, and there are people that are Christians that love women. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that like, that's, it's, if we are to, uh, live in a, a country free of religious oppression that's part of it is getting rid of that like you may think that women Mm -hmm. need to be at the house and that's fine for you to think uh if if that works for you but it doesn't work for us as as a society and Mm -hmm. i think that that's what a lot of this stuff boils down to too is like the 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 religious aspect of where all this stuff comes from how it was just, it has been justified and reinforced, you know, using yeah, what religion th- is. Yeah. I think it makes sense too. what you said. You're like, I thought we were doing this. I think a lot of people feel that yeah. way, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, and I'm sure, especially a lot of men because they can compare it to the past or maybe, you know, what they saw their moms mm-hmm. go through. And so they're like, well, you have it much better now. And I think, uh, probably a lot of men or yeah or they're like you know i'm not mean to women but not being mean just the the absence of being mean is not support and encouragement and you know all the years of oppression it's like we need more than just not being mean and you know Mm -hmm. white men have had a lot of support and community in this country and that's how they've built wealth and it's like we need to turn that around and help everyone else as well you know yeah because homogenous societies will fail even in bio like down to the biological right like life needs diversity like if you have just Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. one animal that's that's only food that whatever ecosystem is going to die you know what i mean Mm -hmm. we need yeah we need so much more than we have right now. And I think that's what we're, it's almost like we, like the old way of doing things is, is trying to prove that it's the superior way 
when facts and reason and even personal experience are like in the face of that, you know, like flying in the face. Yeah. It's just, well, and I, well, I think on, on our podcast, one thing we have clearly identified is that anything that thinks it's the superior way typically is problematic Yeah, because it's, it's that, that all or nothing, this is the best, no other way. And it doesn't allow for the fluidity of human experience and, and, um, diversity in general, for sure. Um, so it, it almost sounds like we might've answered this question, but we can get it maybe more succinctly is, you know, Tisha, what do you, what is something that you think allies need to know in their, to be better allies to you? Yeah, I think that, um, well, just one example that comes to mind is, um, and I haven't told you guys this yet, but you guys and I, we met the day after Roe v. Wade was overturned. And I remember when I jumped on, like before getting on, I was like, okay, you know how we all felt that day. And I was like, okay, I'm getting on Zoom, like put that aside and join. And when I joined, you guys were, you guys started the conversation right away about Roe v. Wade. And I remember Richie, Mm. you were like, we don't have to write any scripts today. Like we don't have to work. Do you guys just want to sit and talk about how we're feeling? And it made me realize everywhere that I've worked, no bosses or leadership have ever done that or ever, you know, said it like that or started the conversation like that so directly. And I Mm. think that a lot of male bosses and leadership, they think, well, I don't know how to talk about it, so I'm not going to talk about it. And I know I had a boss recently that said that because I told him, I was like, you have employees working from home and you have not once mentioned like what's going on with Roe v. Wade. And it just, it's sort of a dystopian, weird nightmare when we're all working from home and no one's talking about it. And we're just kind of going about business as usual. So you never have to have the perfect words. You'll never be able to say the perfect thing that someone needs to hear. You're not going to cure everything, but just bringing it up right away at the front of the conversation. And I think if male bosses did that, it would be just so amazing if they got their team on Zoom or in person and they said, hey, I know everything that's going on with Roe v. Wade. We support you. We understand if you need to take a couple, you know, a little bit longer lunch. And even just telling your employees things like that in general is so great for keeping your employees and keeping them happy and sort of talk about the elephant in the room and then you can go on. But when you don't talk about things, that's when it gets awkward. Yeah. And that's probably how we see women leaving fields that are overtly male dominated. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're not even being um, acknowledged, heard, listened to. Um, There's no empathy. And uh, that I just, it, I've had a similar feeling where if all I need you is to address it and I actually feel like I can be my whole self here. Mm -hmm. And um, my wife works for Apple. And one good thing that they do, and I'm only thinking of this because on Imperfect Allies, we're not a political podcast. And so it's not like a side thing. It's more just how we all can um, help. And I'm I'm making a 
assumption that some men who are in these positions are afraid to make a statement that will then out them as a specific mm-hmm. political side, yeah. right? And so then it's it's hard to even speak on something um, that might be politicized. And so at Apple, what they do is they say, you know, we want to open the floor for you to speak and share what you feel. And we just want to, you know, identify resources for anyone that needs something. Like it has nothing to do with how I feel about it. If it was good, bad, ugly, it's there's resources out there for those that are impacted. And here are some of those resources. And it, it, I think, can be very aligning and also not forcing you into a certain um, political side. Yeah, that's so true. And I hate that it has to be political. And I think, you know, that's probably one thing, too, that they can say is, like, this shouldn't be political. So it's not. I'm not making a political stance. I'm just making a stance for healthcare and for women. And, you know, a lot of people think it's just abortions, but it changes so many things. And yeah. It changes the conversations you can have with your doctor and it affects everything. And I think a lot of men are probably thinking, well, yeah, you know, we don't, we should have less abortions, but they're just not thinking of the full impact and what that actually means. And Roe v. Wade was a lot about privacy, which is also yeah. really interesting because those same people that are very anti abortion are very, you know, pro privacy with their guns and everything. And I don't think they're seeing the full picture that like overturning Roe v. Wade is just the beginning of invading everyone's privacy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it's part of it is because I wanted to go back a little bit. Uh, One of the things that you said about, you know, bosses not being able to talk about this stuff is that we're afraid to fail. We're afraid to look foolish and bum. I mean, not only just like pick a side, Chris, but like just to fail in general, just be bumbling. Like that's not manly. You can't, you can't just to not know, just to not know. Yeah. That's what, you know, yeah. Right. Mansplaining is not like I have superior knowledge. (laughs) It's, it's like, I'm, I'm a man. This is what I, I'm a Mm -hmm. man. I'll show you how manly I am, but it, it's part of my, but it's identity. a lie that we've been told and you know, <laughs> yeah. goes on and on. And that is crazy too, know? to think that that is the personality type of someone running a company or, you know, in charge of managing people is that mm. they're not letting themselves be vulnerable, but right. they're managing people. And it's, if they would just be vulnerable or be honest, um, you know, it could change a lot of things in their company and really helps their employees yeah absolutely and it it takes also companies that are incentivizing and rewarding people who have the empathy and those emotional skills because most of the men are portraying what has got them this far Mm -hmm. like they they they're continuing to act how they acted to get the job in the first place yeah and not knowing is not something that your boss is telling you man Peterson, when you came in there not knowing anything about what we were talking about today, that is Keep it up. what we like to see. Yeah. Keep yeah. it up. <laughs> that's not that those conversations aren't being had. And it's it's, you know, very pretentious because that's kind of what you have to do is pretend that you know it all to keep progressing and moving up. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I, I mean, one, I want to celebrate Rich for leading that conversation that way, because 
that is just a huge skill. And I, I can't recall um, if I was thinking, let's get to work or not. But I, I don't know if I would have been so bold. And to you, it might not have been bold. It might have been the easiest decision and conversation in the world. But to me, it is bold to say, hey, like, we don't have to do anything else but discuss how we're feeling about this. Like, that's just not, that's not a locker room. Com- bro, bro, yeah. hey, let's just stop and talk about how you feel, yeah. man. Like, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So, yeah, um, just having, celebrating that, I think that's just really cool. And hopefully more people can take those bold steps and then it doesn't feel this bold anymore. Yeah. If you get, if like, if you start, if you get comfortable looking foolish, (laughs) 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 then it's fine. You know, like, and and especially like going back to the beginning of the the top of the episode, like if it becomes, I think so many men are trying to impress everyone Mm -hmm. that if they just learned to like themselves, like we talked about the top of the podcast, Mm -hmm. um, that, that a lot of this stuff would be solved or at least, I don't know, in a better place to hear. And I don't know, because, because, yeah, I was trying to think of when I, when I try to impress people, I'm just at my worst. I'm just at my worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you're so, just doing uh, whatever you think that they want to see or hear. Right. Right. And while I don't like everything I do in this sort of like, okay, I'm going to be my authentic self. I'm not, I like even parts of this conversation. I'm like, Oh, I'm just rambling, (laughs) but it's okay. (laughs) I think it's okay because I'm here and I'm, I'm willing to learn and listen and, and, uh, you know, give my, give my point of view as well. So. Yeah. And Chris, you said uh, zero sum game. Like Mm. that's kind of the mentality of a lot of men. And I think that that's how, men were taught to be is that it's a zero sum game yes. because that attitude kind of keeps the system working the way that it's set up to work, you know, because mm-hmm. if, if men changed that attitude about zero sum game, it's like we could start to find more equality and, you know, we need men as allies. Like we really do. Yeah. And, you know, we were kind of talking about uh, the algorithms and things like that, but there, there is showing up more and more times of how many things prove that it's not a zero sum game mm-hmm. just in our existence. There's so many people that do the exact same thing on social media every yeah. day. I, and I still am looking at them and like, like, oh, I saw this five minutes ago from someone totally different. Like, like it's it's so much to go around and to share and um the more we do that and the more we talk i think i I mean i I have to believe that you know there are other people having these same conversations and pushing us all in the same direction to um i don't know better our country and society as a whole and so i appreciate the hell out of y'all because we're we're trying at least to do it on our end and it's really cool yeah yeah definitely uh, well, Tisha, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we only got to like high school, I think. We didn't even get very much of your backstory, so we got to have you back. Uh, yeah, is there any? I mean, any kind of last thoughts that you had, or just anything that, if not, that's okay. I think that uh, I love everything that we talked about today, and I think what we can do is put those things into our scripts 
And a lot of times taking these serious moments and making them funny can mm-hmm. really help mm-hmm. us kind of push that out to a broader audience and we can tell these stories that way. Absolutely. So let's Absolutely. keep writing our scripts. Put it in our art. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Well, Christy, anything, last words for the show? No, I, that was, that was it. That was perfect. Well, as a straight white man, I have a few last words I need to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, we end, uh, we end every episode, uh, with a piece. So Chris, Tisha, peace. 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 <laughs>